Um, a few years ago, I heard a story about a gal named Jody. She worked at a tech company um, in the office at the front desk. And uh, any 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 uh, any men or women in here ever worked at a front desk of a company before? Um, it can be a great place to work, but it also can be a frustrating place to work. If you're a people person, you love people, man, that's the place to be is people come in and out, introducing themselves, all that good stuff, making sure they go and know what they're supposed to go and know. But one of the things that Jody didn't like about her job was was dealing with salespeople. And it wasn't because she didn't like salespeople, but it, it was just because she couldn't do anything for them. Jody, um, she said that, that oftentimes people would come in wanting to sell her office products and you know things like that, and, and, and she would try to figure out where in the midst of their spiel could I, and their sales pitch could I stop them because I don't want to waste their time because we can't buy anything. You know, all of our, all of her products and office supplies came from their corporate office. And so really it was just kind of a downer every time a person would come in. Because this is their livelihood. And they would start out so hopeful knowing that they were going to get a sale. And then by the time they left, they're like, okay, that was just a waste of time. And so Jody was talking about one day, one day she had this gentleman come in and, and uh, when he opened the door, she just knew it was going to be one of those bad moments. You know, he came in and he was kind of hunched over. He was in his late 50s, but you would have thought he was in his late 80s or 90s. I mean, he just had like this broken spirit and worn out look. He just kind of had this hunched back. and it, It's like he knew before he even started that this wasn't going to end well. And so he came in and he was doing his sales pitch um, when a guy named Bob, who was one of her boss's friends, peeked his head around the corner. Now the thing about Bob is Bob was a linguist. And Bob was just one of those guys that whenever he was around, he always just had like a life about him and a word to him that he just made you feel better. Do you have a Bob in your life that when you're around him, he's like, man, I just feel better. They just make, say things that just make my life more enjoyable. Well, that was Bob. And Bob was hearing this man talk and he noticed that this guy had like a broken, um, a broken language, that it, he was from another country, and he had an accent, and Bob was a linguist, and so he popped his head around the corner, and he started talking to him, and Jody said that, that, that it was kind of awkward as she sat there, because these two guys are speaking in this foreign language for like 10 or 15 minutes, and she's just like sitting back, and it was like, what, what are they talking about, you know, have you ever been in that situation before, you're just like, she didn't know what to do, so she just started acting like she was typing away, just watching this conversation, but one of the things that she loved about it was as, as, as Bob kept talking to the salesman, his countenance and spirit just began to change. He went from tired and worn out and sad to a smile on his face and his back a little bit more straight and a little bit more hopeful attitude. And as he left that day, she's like, man, I wish Bob was around all the time because that just, that was good stuff. So as the guy walked out, Bob looked at her and he said, just Jody, I'm really sorry. He said, I, there's nothing more awkward than sitting and listening to two people talk and you don't understand a single word they say. I, I apologize. He said, but, but when I heard this guy accent, I knew he was from Holland. And I know Dutch. And so I started talking to him. And we just talked about his life and his family. And I'd been there a few times. and So it was just a really, really cool conversation. Jody was like, Bob. Man, don't apologize. I appreciate that. You probably made that guy's day. And then Bob said this. Bob said, you know, sometimes people just need to hear 
Isn't that true? Sometimes it's just good to hear from home. Have you ever like ran into someone who like grew up in your hometown, not far from where you did? And it's just it's like, oh, I mean, that's like a cool day when you meet somebody like that. And you start talking about, oh, yeah, you know, I lived on the corner of so-and-so. Oh, man, I was just like two blocks away. Oh, so you went to high school like a couple, oh, you remember that principal? He was the worst, wasn't he? And you just start laughing and joking about the teachers and principals and people. And it's just, there's like a camaraderie that happens that you're just like, this person, they kind of get me. They know where I'm from. They've experienced what I, they grew up where I grew up. And you start laughing. Anybody ever done that before? It's kind of a cool experience. Like three weeks before I became your pastor, I had a kidney stone. And uh, if anybody ever have a kidney stone in this room before? They are like, they are awful. Um, now some like men say now men say this, so women don't beat me up. Is men say that it's like giving birth? It's like the same pain. As labor? No. Yeah, I can't believe that that's actually true. But that's what they say. And I remember telling a story early on in my ministry in my church in Oklahoma City about having a kidney stone. And uh, one of the guys in my youth group, um, one of his dad, his name was Steve, um, he also had like multiple kidney stones. And so after that service, he came up to me and he was like, Dude, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's the worst thing ever. The last kidney stone I had, he was a vice principal. I had it at school, and it's like, you know, one in the afternoon, and I have all these kids around, and I'm hurting, and I'm like laying on my desk, and kids are we're like, what's going on with this guy? He's like, I had to go to the It was the worst experience ever. And he said, you and me, we're stone brothers. And we like gave each other like a fist bump, you know, because... Because we got it. And so every time we saw each other, he was like, what's up, my stone brother? And we would give Kenny Stone a fist bump, right? Because he knew what I knew. He had experienced what I had experienced. Have you ever had to like go in for an appointment or a surgery, and you talk to somebody who's had that surgery before, and where you were afraid or where you were confused? It's like all of a sudden you're not as... Because they get it, and they've experienced it, and they understand. It's just good when someone understands what you're going through, right? That's good. Do you think God understands? That's the question that we have this morning. Do you think God really gets it? That he understands what we go through, that he, that he can empathize, sympathize with what we face here on this earth. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about a God who knows. Say this after me. He knows. He knows. His I am statement, if you pull out your notes, is John chapter 19, 23 through 30 in the NIV. I just want to read it to you. This is what it says. It says, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. And this fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister. Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, who was John, he said to her, 
Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill the scripture, he said, read it with me, I am thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked the sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I am thirsty. There's a lot of great I am statements that we've been studying. We talked about Jesus saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. But this hits to the very essence of who Jesus was. That Jesus was just as human as he was God. I mean, think about this. Owns the universe, created it all, thought of the existence of water, formed mountains, did all those things, and here he is, thirsty. The God who who told Moses to strike a rock and and a, a, a gushing river poured out for the people of Israel to drink out of in the wilderness is now thirsty for that same Water. You see, this Jesus that I pray to and that you pray to, he completely understands what we go through. He gets it. He understands. Jesus was both fully human and fully God at the same time. Look in your notes. I just put a few contrasting things. He was born from a woman, but his father was God. He grew up from boy to man, but he existed from eternity. Remember the passage we read a few weeks ago, John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and it existed from the beginning. And through all things were created from this Word. And it's talking about Jesus who became flesh. He, he's existed from eternity, but he was also born a boy. And he existed and grew up to a man. He was tempted, but he was perfect. He, his trade was a carpenter. He had a job. He had a career. But he was also the creator that, that made everything that we see and that exists. He died like all men die. But he rose from the dead. He was crucified as a criminal. But he reigns as the king. I put this quote in your notes. Jesus saw life from a divine perspective. But he also experienced it as a human being. The encouragement for today is that no matter who you are or where you are in your faith journey or whatever you're going through, he knows. Does God really get it? Can he be empathetic? Can he sympathize? Does he understand how hard life really is? He knows. Because he knows, he can be empathetic to our spiritual struggles. He can be empathetic to our spiritual struggles. What I mean by that is this. Um, there's a story. I think I've showed you this picture before. This guy, is, uh, his name is Drew Manning. There's a picture up there. I couldn't find a picture of him, so I just superimposed his face on my body. I'm the one on the left. Um, this is Drew Manning. Drew Manning is a personal trainer. You guys remember this story? He's a personal trainer, and he had this great business, um, just a lot of success helping people lose weight and to get healthy and to get in shape, and, uh, but he was always frustrated because some people couldn't be motivated. 
They, it was just like, he, he, no matter what he said or how hard he tried, he just couldn't get them to exercise and to believe in themselves and to not offer a bunch of excuses. And so he got tired of it, so he decided to put himself in their shoes. And so for six months, he didn't work out. For six months, he just ate the way that they ate. For six months, he just lived life like one of his average people, you know, that he's trying to get healthy lived. And that's what he looked like 70 pounds later there in the middle over six months. And after six months of eating that way, six months of gaining all that weight, he said, you know what? Now it's time to get healthy again. So he started eating right. He started working out. And he began to realize that it was a whole lot harder than what he thought it was going to be. He's like, I never had an addiction to sugar until I had an addiction to sugar. And I just didn't get how hard it was to pass up on a donut when you've tasted how sweet donuts really are. He said, I dreamed about nachos. It's like I would just wake up in sweats and just think, i got to have a nacho. And I hated going to the gym. I used to love going to the gym, but now I hated it because I thought about all these people who are now looking at me and thinking, man, look at that sweaty fat guy and making fun of me, and, and, and I just didn't feel the way I felt before. And he said cravings and soda. He said that stuff had a grip in my life. And he said I began to understand. He said I could sympathize all of a sudden. When my, when my client says, you just don't understand how hard it is, he said, now I understood how hard it really was. The withdrawals, the tacos calling my name. It was hard to come back. It was hard to overcome. But I get it now. I understand. When God became flesh, he struggled just like we struggle. Put it back on that, that, that point. He is empathetic to our spiritual struggles. Whatever. Let me think about this. Right after Jesus is, is, is baptized in the Jordan River, Luke, I think it's Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 4, there's this moment where the clouds are parted, and as he comes up out of the water, this voice rains from above. This is this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And it says that the Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove. And he has one of those, those awe-inspiring moments, right? you got to think that Jesus was like, ah, you know, like literally, ah, angels, ah, right, from heaven. And the scripture says in Luke chapter 4 that immediately that the Lord, the Spirit of God, took him into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. And after fasting for 40 days, it says the devil came. The enemy, Satan, came to Jesus and did what? Tempted him. He looked at Jesus and said, I know you're hungry. And I know you have the power to turn those stones into bread. How about you do it? Look, if I had that power and I had it in 40 days, there would be a whole lot of Krispy Kreme donuts laying on the ground around me. you have bam, 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 bam. So I don't think I could overcome that. Jesus was tempted. He tempted him with power. He tempted him with authority. He tempted him with showing off, you know, the grand power, this grand world that could be his, but he didn't give in. Have you ever wrestled with God? Have you ever had one of those moments where you just thought, God, just wrestling with God? Just wrestling with him. Jesus did too. 
Jesus Christ. Remember the story of the Garden of Gethsemane? When Jesus is about to give his life and to be crucified, and he goes with his disciples to pray to be with the Father? What does the scripture say? It says he took three of his disciples and he went deeper into the garden to pray, and then, and then he left his three disciples and he went even further. And it says he found he fell on the ground and he looked up into heaven and he said, God, if there's any way that this cup could pass from me. And he says the intensity, the scripture says the intensity was so real, so strong, so overwhelming, that he began to sweat drops of blood. You want to talk about pressure. But then eventually he says, God, but not my will. But your will be done. He knows. He knows the struggle. Hebrews 4, 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in what? Every way. Just as we are, yet did not sin. He knows. He gets it. Have you ever thought, does God understand the struggle that I have? He, he knows. He knows our relational pain and pressure. You see, sometimes we forget that Jesus grew up in a family. That after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had other kids. Did you know that? He had brothers and sisters. And you have to think that it was pretty hard for his brothers and sisters to have an older brother who thought he was God. Do any of you grew up any of you grew up with an older brother sister who thought he was God? He said, you just want to punch you in the face. You know? Tell me one more time. I swear, I'm taking you down. It was hard for them to accept Jesus who he was. Not only was it hard, but Jesus felt responsibility for his family. Have you ever been there before watching your family? And, and, and feeling that responsibility to try to help them and to try to fix them and to try to take and provide for them? Jesus felt that too. If you go back to the scripture I read, Jesus is literally up on a cross, giving his life, carrying the weight of our sin. And the scripture says that he sees his mother and he looks and he says, John, the disciple, one of the disciples that he loved, John, this is now your mother. Mary, Mary, this is now your son. From that point on, Mary lived with John. You know what I mean? He felt relational pressure and responsibility. He gets it. He knows. Have you ever struggled with your family? Yeah. If your family's sitting with you, don't raise your hand. I'm good in your head. Listen, when you talk to God about your relational issues and wonder if he gets it, he knows. He knows. Look at the scripture, Mark 3.21. It says, when his family heard what was happening, this is early on in the ministry, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. This is, his, this is the people that are closest to him in his life. And they don't understand what he's all about. Have you ever been there? Where the people that are closest to you just don't get in the choices that you're making. He knows. I heard a pastor say once, there's only been one perfect father and look what happened to his kids. Rebellious child, betrayed, turned on, 
Here's the third dot. He shares in our sorrows and suffering. In college, um, my best friend was a guy named Matt Watson. I've shared a few stories about Matt. Matt had a disease called, uh, he was born with called cystic fibrosis. Um, and, and when he was born in the 70s, 1976, the average life expectancy of someone with cystic fibrosis is only 25 years old. Now the average life expectancy of someone with cystic fibrosis is somewhere in their 40s. Um, so it's advancing, it's getting better. But then it was in, his, in the mid-20s. Um, after I graduated college, I knew I was going to be going into the ministry, and so I decided to return home um, just to spend some time with my family. I kind of took a break um, from that direction that I knew God was going to do. Uh, take me on, because I knew that if I was going to be a pastor in the Church of God, there was only one Church of God church in, in, in Dallas, and that was the church I grew up in, and they weren't going to hire me, because they already had a youth pastor. And so that meant I was going to be moving, you know, possibly out of state, far away, and I was like, I'm not ready to do that just yet, so I'm going to go home and spend some time with my family, spend some time with Matt. Because during that summer, in that last senior year of, of college, Matt was on and off again sick. Um, he'd go into the hospital with lung stuff uh, because of the cystic fibrosis and, and um, pneumonia-like, lots of um, just buildup of stuff in his lungs that he would have to get out. And then he would get really sick, and then he would start to bounce back, and then we'd let him go. And, and then we would hang out and do life like we normally would, going to softball games and hanging out and going to restaurants and all the stuff that 24, 25-year-old kids do old kids, and, and then he would get sick again, go back to the hospital, and, and he would get out. And he was a part of our college group, and you know, he went to all the Bible studies on Wednesday nights, and, and, and Sunday nights, and Sunday mornings. I mean, we ate, slept, slept and drank church 24-7. That was who we were as young 20-year-olds. But as the summer went on, Matt just got sicker and sicker and sicker. And there was a point, I'm just going to be honest with you, where, where both Matt and I got pretty angry with God. I mean, think about it. Matt was a great kid. Never drank, never smoked, never did drugs, never did yada, yada, yada. But here he is sick, losing a battle with a disease that he just can't beat. And God's not healing. You want to think that I was mad? I was now, don't hold this against me, because I was a young kid at the time. But I thought, you know, there's a lot of other people in this world that deserve to die. Not Matt. He doesn't deserve it. But he did. And it hurt. And it wrecked my world. And it wrecked. Matt came along full circle a little bit sooner than I did, and so he was at peace about it and their right relationship with God, but man, it was hard for me. In one of those moments where I was wrestling with God, I was just like, God, do you even get it? Do you even understand? And he said, Dear, I do. I do get it. I have a son, and he visited this world, and he died. I mean, think about his family, Jesus. We don't know what happened to Joseph. Scripture doesn't say. But we do know that as Jesus was an adult, Joseph wasn't there, and so we assume that he died. 
So he experienced loss. Jesus is one of Jesus' closest friends growing up with a guy by the name of John the Baptist, his cousin. Jesus, in his early parts of his ministry, watches John the Baptist be, be beheaded by a guy named Herod for absolutely nothing. Just because he spoke out against wickedness. And Jesus didn't do anything about it. Brokenness. Sadness. He gets it. When we're dealing with the injustice of life, with loss, he knows. Pain and suffering, Jesus gets it. I mean, think about this. Look at Matthew chapter 26 and 27. I took a few excerpts of Jesus' last few days here on earth. Listen to what it says. It says, Then they began to spit in Jesus' face, and they beat him with their fists. He ordered Jesus flogged, and then with a lead-tipped whip, they stripped him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. They spit on him. They grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. They nailed him to the cross. And so when you're hurt and suffering and you wonder if God understands, he does. He knows. He gets it. Here's the last thought. He's experienced the weight of our sin. You see, Jesus was perfect. He lived a sinless life. He was tempted like every single one of us are tempted with all the stuff that we have to deal with, but he he resisted it. He was perfect. And he went to the cross. And when you go to the cross, you see this event that was predicted in the Old Testament. I put it in Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. It says, but he was pierced for for our rebellion. He was pierced. He was crushed. For our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed. We have left God's past to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Laid on him. The one that never failed. The one that never sinned. The one that had never fallen in any way. And all of sin was laid on his shoulders, was put on him. You have to understand how powerful this event was. In Leviticus chapter 9 is when they had the first sin offering. And in Leviticus chapter 9, you see God giving to Moses what this first offering is supposed to be like, and Moses relaying it to Aaron, who was the first high priest. So there's Aaron and Moses standing in front of all of Israel. Millions of people standing, gathered around, watching this moment, this very first sacrifice for the sins of the people. Everyone is gathered. And, and, and Moses begins to tell Aaron step by step what to do. The grain offering, the wave offering, the sin offering. Doing it exactly the way God told him to do it. And the scripture says that at the end, after the offering's been made, Aaron raises his hand and he blesses the people. And as he does this, the fire of God comes down and consumes the sacrifice upon the altar. And it was so awesome and so awestruck and so amazing that all the people fell in worship before God. It was an amazing moment. The very first time a sacrifice has been offered for the sins of the people. And then every year after that, every single year, the high priest would do the same. Lift his hands, offer the sacrifice, the fire of God would come down, and the people would fall in worship. And here is Jesus on the cross, the weight of all of our sin, 
not just their sin, the past sin, but all of sin for all eternity upon his shoulders. Now the truth is, is we don't have a full understanding of what happens in this moment. Theologians have theologized, I guess, about what's going, what's happening in this moment. But what we do know, that as Jesus was bearing the weight of the sin, the Spirit of God leaves him. And that's why he says, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As if God has turned his back upon him. The Spirit of God has left him. And he says, it is finished. And that word, it is finished, means paid in full. The full weight of our sin upon his shoulders. He cries out. He knows. He remembers that weight. Don't you think it's interesting? When Jesus was resurrected, he had a glorified body. He still walked around with his scars. Why? Why did Jesus leave the wounds upon his hot side and his feet and his hands in his side? Why, why did he do that? It's to remind them and to remind us that he knows. He gets it. There and the worship team to come back up. As they do, there's just a few things I want you to think about as we close the service. What's going to happen this morning? Is it, what have you talked about? What temptation have you faced? What struggle have you wrestled with in following God's will? And you've probably thought from time to time, does God even understand how hard this is? This morning, I want you to know that he knows. Relational pain and pressure from family, and you thought, man, I wish they would just get their act together. He knows. If you've ever had a broken body, and needed a touch from God, Jesus, Jesus knows. If you've ever felt like you've disappointed the Father, Fallen short. Jesus never fell short, but he carried the sin of us all. 